Hello, I'm Brittany Campbell-Turner, and this is the Constructor Podcast, session number 12. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Constructor. This podcast is dedicated to helping property owners have certainty in their decisions about the construction projects. I want to help property owners foster trusting relationships with your project teams, help you to lower risk, be under budget, and on schedule in your construction projects, and exceed your end user's desires. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe for a weekly email from me at constructor.com. In my weekly email, I'll be letting you know when a podcast is released once a week. Thank you for listening already, but your subscription is truly an encouragement, letting me know that there are consistent, consistent listeners out there wanting to hear more about continuously improving construction methods. Last week, I started a series of interviews with Wendy Springberg. We discuss in this three-part series information that is useful to anyone who is interested in starting a co-working community. Constructor.com slash 11 talks about the characteristics that a co-working host must have and how a host should think about impacting their community. Check it out if you haven't listened to it yet. Constructor.com slash 11. In this part, part two, we discuss how understanding the community translates into the necessary design and architectural elements in a co-working space. In part three, Wendy and I will talk about making sure a co-working business model is sustainable to ensure the business owner's success. We talk about the right designers to hire, the best software solutions for your business so you can ensure success. So, so next week, tune in for part three. Without further ado, here is part two of my interview with Wendy Springberg. And into more of the design constructability aspect. This, this is the Constructor Podcast, and we're talking about the best <laughs> way to build it, right? That's the yeah. tagline, if you guys don't know, the best way to build it. So um, just just curious here, what what has changed about the workspace model because of how people are working? You mentioned a little bit about... Um, the the desire to have company well, the company's desire to have people work in a specific space is not as high of a priority and it's trending that way per desk mag um but tell us a little bit more about how this workspace model is is changing so it's changing a lot which is really interesting we've been actually studying the co-working topic since 2007. So it's before WeWork as the biggest well-known name in the co-working world has become. They started in 2010. Um, But we heard about this prior to that and started exploring it. And what we found at the time were um, groups that wanted to start Again, it was a business startup who said, gee, I'd like to bring my friends on in and I'm going to take down 1,200 square feet and I'll get four or five other people to share it with me. That has evolved and nothing but open plan and some desks. And that has evolved specifically to people who are taking this on again as a full-time business rather than, you know, this is my part-time job or my second gig, if you will, because my true gig is doing 
X and my part-time gig is providing shared space for somebody. So the design has taken a much more sophisticated approach and much larger scale. So what we find is um, most sustainable are spaces that are at least a minimum of 10,000 square feet now. So significantly different from that 1,200 square feet that I referenced a moment ago. Um, And so it's a mix as well. And so it's really the, the sophistication and awareness of multiple work modes as well as the desire for an entirely different user experience. So it's about the experience. That's our tagline is that we help people create experience, not just space. So it's all of those sensory um, pieces to it. So how much natural light comes into the space. So fewer offices on the exterior um, all throughout the space, there's much more open plan, but also allowing workstations and open seating to be part of the design element close to the windows or unobstructed uh, at that point. Um, we're also seeing soft seating and lounge type space as well as varying posture. So you're seeing clearly stand-up desks or Uh, desks and table heights that actually change mechanically. There's not as much of that um, simply because of the expense, I think, and the overall expense. But you're having high-top tables in cafe areas, standard-height tables, lounge seating with a side side arm, for example, on the chair. Uh, Color is a very important aspect of this. Is it um, and, and how gender neutral it has become because more and more females are, are taking on uh, memberships in co-working spaces where sometimes it used to be more male-dominated. 60 to 70% of the members used to be male, and now it's becoming more much closer to 50-50, where 54% now um, of co-working members across the U.S. at least are female. Um, And finally, you know, that aspect of white noise. So is there a white noise element um, enabling people to work in open plan, but also still have some uh, buffering, sound buffering, that whole idea that you referenced earlier of having separate phone booths. So if you're in an open space and you really need to take a phone call or take a confident, make a, have a confidential conversation, you're enabled to go off into a small phone booth area, meaning spaces are not you know, 12 person conference rooms anymore. They might just be huddle spaces of six to eight. Um, but then, you know, believe it or not, people are actually getting into, um, trying to instill a branded scent into their space, not just the yummy smell of coffee for those of us who like coffee, uh, but something that might be, you know, more bringing in some more natural scent, a green scent that inspires the feeling of nature. So there are things along that line that are really changing the workspace model uh, based on a sensory experience, not just a design experience of, you know, an office with a glass door. Um, more of that is also happening, but it's much more of that holistic user experience and, uh, really space flow, how people really want to work. And the fact that they work in multiple dimensions between, you know, very serious focus to more relaxed, um, creative thought process since we're humans and we have very different work modes throughout the day. 
Hmm. I think that's so interesting. Um, I really liked the idea about the branded scent. Um, I actually have some some relaxing kind of calm calming scent burning in the background and I, th I thought that was really interesting that you mentioned that at this moment um because I think that kind of helps me get into to the mode uh, of working with more focus um so very funny that you mentioned that um but no outside of that on a, on a broader scale that that multiple dimensional space where you can work um with in many very many different ways with many different purposes um I, I think that's hugely valuable. And I guess the next question that kind of is spurred from, from what you just said here is, is how does a host know what way his, his or her community may swing, right? Um, before, before they even get the members. I'm just thinking, well, what comes first? Do you get the members first and then build out the space? What, how, does, how does that work? How do... How do you um, provide consultation about how a space is designed? Um, the, those uh, clients of ours that have been most successful, believe it or not, are sort of doing it simultaneously, which uh -huh. makes a big um, challenge to someone who's, who's potentially opening a co-working space. But if we think about it this way, Brittany, where say we're taking on 10,000 square feet, Part of that is the exploration of, and there's so much foundation towards building your budget and your business plan before taking on something as large as 10,000 square feet. So clearly there's a lot of thought and um, logic and support that needs to go into that thought process. Uh, we're also real estate brokers, so we help the client define uh, how much space they really need, what is the business plan around that. And then simultaneously say, let's start building this uh, conversation with people that you may already know within your own work colleague community who may not be potential users, but who are there in your camp who want to support this concept for you. Mm -hmm. So going back and asking your business colleagues from maybe very different um, perspectives someone who might have that creative design experience, another who might have that financial experience, and pull them as you know, opposite ends of the spectrum, just in my mind, to say, what is important to you? To inform yourself of other perspectives that may not come to mind for you. Mm -hmm. The second process then, after you've started down this road of creating the business plan and, and talking to those colleagues, is to then really get out in your community and, you know, set up coffee meetings or if there are meetups in your area or meeting with your chamber of commerce. And if it's a large chamber of commerce like the Chicagoland Chamber of Commerce, I don't recommend that because it's not personalized enough. Mm -hmm. But for example, in Chicago, we have neighborhood business associations and chambers of commerce. So go to that more local chamber of commerce that's more intimate and start having conversations with the members of that chamber, even if they're members um, of, of a different commercial basis, like the dry cleaner, like the accountant, like the baker down the street, and start having those conversations and saying, finding out from them what they see happening in the community and trends. You can also just um, search online as to what are the 
local events happening in an immediate neighborhood um, that you're experiencing and starting to see what seems to be going on in my own own community and my own neighborhood and how do I maximize or capitalize on some of those events and experiences. So from a design standpoint and, and business model standpoint, I think that research of figuring out what somebody wants and what percentage is, again, is again going to be male to female mm-hmm. uh, and what their business needs are. Is it a younger population who isn't necessarily thinking about family and work-life balance, but they do want to travel a lot? Let's just throw that out as one scenario. Or it could be very um, more of a suburban type location or a residential community um, type location where family is super important. And so how do you provide the opportunity to maybe talk to the daycare down the street and say, gosh, when parents are dropping off their kids, they can work from here. So there's so many different facets that you need to explore based on the community that you're going to be establishing um, your co-working space to serve. Hmm. I'm, I'm really excited about the fact that there's so many ways you can, can take in order to investigate and research about your community. Um, I mean, surveys to, to potential, um, users are, are great, but I, I do like the idea of, of really getting into your um, neighborhood business associations or chambers of commerce. Um, I think that's a definitely a great way to, to get a good understanding of the trends that are happening um, in a, a particular community. Hmm. Yeah. Very cool. And then male to female, um, how would you investigate that? Um, it's super challenging. I think, though, <laughs> that... Uh, <laughs> Isn't it? Like, how would you? <laughs> and part of your design, um, your your design has to be considered to be gender neutral, as neutral as it possibly can be, so that it can attract the greatest percentage of everybody who will be part of the community, right? So, um, while you might have lots of angular square offices, and you know, it's a grid plan for your office space. How do you choose the furniture that might have rounder edges or softer mm-hmm. pieces to be complementary? So there's there's one aspect from a design standpoint, but figuring out the percentages, I think the best, really the best vehicle might literally to just be starting a meetup group. Sometimes that can work really well to say, look, I'm exploring starting a co-working community, and I'd really love, you know, I'll host at whatever venue you want, if it's the local cafe or the best brew pub right down the street and just start a meetup group. And anybody who seems to be interested in the topic can inform you and be, uh, start building the community that way. So all of these things happen simultaneously. I, I'm, I'm sorry to tell your audience that it doesn't happen magically and it doesn't happen overnight. It really takes a lot of work and focus to, to create the right sustainable model and it really is a passion and a labor of love to make all the pieces come together correctly. 
Yeah, it's a real difference between creating a space for your own corporate environment if you're if you're one company that has a thousand employees because you know exactly what they need, you know exactly how they work, and you can go to those specific people directly and say, "This is how your team works. What can help to you know what can be provided to help you improve the way you work." It's a lot different when you're getting all these different perspectives and trying to make a design that is either flexible or or is a stationary design that will be that will work well for for the users that may or may not end up using this space. So I, I think you really do have to be very open minded and creative. Um, but it's 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 dynamic and it sounds really fun. Oh, you're absolutely right about dynamic. Good point. Really good point. <laughs> so, so I guess moving on into to my next question here that I have about space flow. You talked a little bit about that um, and about the different needs. Um, do you know of some stats that talk about the, you know, heads down versus collaborative space? Is there a certain percentage that works well, um, better than others? My initial instinct, it's an instinct versus a statistic, Mm -hmm. is that while co-working spaces have been much more open plan, we're seeing a trend towards um, users really wanting more dedicated space, whether it's a desk that they can be theirs every single day versus an office with a door. But it's a desk that they know when I come in, and I sit down, or even if it's three days a week, but that's my desk, that's my spot, so that they can kind of claim it at least to be able to work from because they know from a productivity standpoint, um, they, have a, they have a spot, if you will, as opposed to being ad hoc. But I still think from that standpoint, um, from a dedicated standpoint, I would say probably 70% of users, just again, instinct, not Um, documented statistic, 70% of users would really prefer having something dedicated um, versus ad hoc because of the frequency by which they're going to be spending time at the co-working location. Um, But I also think from an open plan versus closed office or um, focus area, I still think it's probably 20 to 25% is open and 75% to 80% is more closed or focused. And even that could be a larger room uh, that is closed off that has six to seven desks, but can be quieter. Very interesting. I, yeah. would, not have, I would not have thought that that would be the case. I would have thought that people would be more... Um, they would prefer to be in a more open plan space that's not dedicated to that closed off or quiet environment. I would have thought they would have wanted more people around so that they could collaborate and things of that nature. Um, well, wow, it's an interesting really cool. it's an interesting evolution. So what we've also seen is that um, while people may not want nece- necessarily feel the need or based on an expense they can't quite afford that closed off office that's private just to them. There's also this, I think, my again, my instinct is say, saying a psychological balance where 
You know, you can work in close proximity at an, in an open area where there may be 10 or 12 people, but where there are 50 people in a really broad open plan, there, there's a potential for a lot more noise and a lot more distraction. So I think that's what's starting to happen is there's still open plan, but more of it is being enclosed, whether it's a, 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 a officially with a door or it's, you know, partial height drywall separating and segmenting spaces because there's just too much potential distraction if it's completely, you know, 12,000 square feet of nothing but open plan. So I think that's the transition that we're experiencing, uh, Brittany. So it, it is a combination of what your instinct is telling you where you think people want to work, more people want to work in open plan, but they want to work in controlled open plan. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm kind of thinking through if the control from a host perspective, if, say, for instance, they can't do that physically with their space, maybe from a, a timetable perspective, maybe from, you know, 10 to 12, it will be, you know, quiet time and, and this, this, you know, area. I'm just kind of thinking about the potential ways people could um, approach that. Absolutely. And we may see that trend moving forward. That's a great idea. Hmm. Very interesting. Okay. Um, how does, how does the flow of the space, I mean, you kind of mentioned that a little bit before, how does, how is that impacted, um, by, by how people work? I think what we're seeing, too, in space flow is understanding. I think there are times of day that each of us have our own, you know, office circadian rhythm rather than the bigger picture circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally am a very productive morning person. So I really like the head down focus. I'm, I'm really concentrated on the doing in the morning. And really in the afternoon is more of my creative thought bigger picture scenario. That's how my circadian work rhythm goes. And so what would work really well for me is that space flow of saying, okay, in the mornings, um, as long as here's the more of an enclosed space or a focused space where I can really put my head down and make that happen. And the workflow and the space flow enables that where there's a quieter area that's tucked away or at least partitioned off from the more public space that might either be the cafe or, you know, another type of space where, again, you know, beer and ping pong are, are active. <laughs> um, but in the afternoon, I may want to sit in where beer and ping pong are actively flowing and happening and soft seating. And um, I may even want to work um, at a high top table versus a uh, something that's quieter and, you know, standard height desk size because my posture needs to change throughout the day in order for me to feel my most productive as well. So that's just a description of how my work day works, but it may be exactly the opposite or different configurations for each individual. So I think the space flow is something that you consider as you're building that for each um, type of work that someone's going to conduct within the space. Um, and then clearly having those private spaces for meetings um, and confidential conversations or even presentations that someone has to have um, based on bringing in a, in a client or their own team to make presentations together. 
So it's really, I think the, the space flow is really informed by the way that the productivity happens in the space, regardless of what time of day you have that type of activity, that work activity. And, and as you're saying that, I'm curious as to whether the furniture solutions that are, are chosen are driven by, by that as well, by how that circadian rhythm, if you will, um, for each person changes throughout the day. Yeah, and I think um, some of the furniture that can be uh, delivered, one of the things that we think of very specifically, <clears throat> excuse me, in this type of an environment, Brittany, is as mobile as possible. Mm. So configuring the space that even if it's the open plan work area, that might really inform, hey, we want to have just four of us grab these soft seats and have a little confab. Um, or gee, we need to sit at the high top table. And so how, how is each piece mobile and flexible to be moved to different parts of the space, even as it informs, okay, so this is the focus space. This is the public space. This is sort of the library context this is, again, the social context. Mm -hmm. So how does that inform how the, the furniture is going to be used is really based on uh, how flexible the co-working space leader, the co-working management, wants to make it, how flexible they want to make their space overall. Hmm. So that comes back, again, to those designs decisions that you're making while you're doing your research, right? Um, right. And, and choosing those pieces of furniture or, or partitions, um, even, that could be, yeah, that could be modular or flexible. Hmm. Yeah, even to the point where, you know, double duty, a, a whiteboard on wheels acts as a potential workspace partition. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how can it multitask? How can a piece multitask for you as well? Yeah, very cool. Okay. I like that. I like that a lot. So it sounds like to me um, that the understanding of how people work will probably drive a lot of those furniture decisions early on, um, even before you start putting walls in, just even before you start thinking about where you put walls in enclosed spaces, because yeah. you really have to be cognizant about what the pods of areas are, are going to be and, and kind of program the space in that way and then see how are you going to um, section off areas to, to be purposeful for um, a certain type of work. Hmm. Very, right. very cool. Okay. So well, you I have one, I have one caveat to that, though. That? I agree that you absolutely have to make, make these thoughtful decisions in the very beginning. And one caveat to all of that is we are all still human beings in the human condition. So once you furnish it and once it's there, you may be surprised at how it actually gets used. <laughs> so it'll be very interesting after the first even six months of observation of, gosh, we thought, you know, this soft seating might be used in this certain way. Wow, nobody likes what we've chosen. Or, gee, it's being reconfigured in this way. Maybe we need to get a few extra pieces or a few different pieces 
or gee, the high top tables, there are none left because everybody loves working at those. We need to substitute the low end tables for the high top tables because there are no, nobody's sitting in the low top, low, low level tables. Everybody's sitting at the high top tables. So one of the things you'll want to be aware of too is despite what you think your user experience is going to be, sometimes it really is revealed that it's used in a very different manner. But that's what you're there for as the community leader is to make sure that you're responsive to the actual needs of your members moving forward. Oh, that's a great point. Um, it's not just all this research that's taking place beforehand when you're meeting with your <laughs> chamber of commerce. <laughs> we, are, we, are humans. <laughs> mm-hmm. we are humans. And if we allow, you know, if we allow the flexibility and as a community manager, let humans be humans up to a certain point where it doesn't violate somebody else's human need, then we're in great shape. And we really can create a, a very distinctive community that is responsive to that set of community members that we have on site. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and I, I find that even with working with, with some of my clients, um, they they do come to those same conclusions that, you know, how we anticipated. And we asked them very many times, you know, will you work in this space? Will this serve you well? And they get those same responses. No, this doesn't work. No one uses this space because of X, Y, and Z. And they do have to do something. Um, so it, it, it makes sense that it is the same uh same process that you have to go through. Um, and then, you know, who knows? Those same community members that you have here in a co-working space, in the beginning, they may change over time. So the needs also may change over time. Absolutely. Perfect point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good, good, good. Yeah. All right. So kind of transitioning then into our um, third topic. I hope you enjoyed part two of this series about co-working. Wendy got us thinking about the most important amenities to include in your co-working space design. Find the show notes at constructor.com slash 12 and don't forget to subscribe. Find part one in episode 11 and the last part is coming out next week in episode 